Listen to this music. Matt, what is this? Well, that's not you singing. I mean, you're you're in there, but that's featuring Shane Told of Silverstein. It's a collaboration that we did with them, uh, with Shane for our show, Are You Listening, that we do on Sundays. We've been doing a yep. song, at least one full production song every week for the last 10 weeks, and that's one of them. Uh, and it's been really fun. We've had a bunch of different people on. We have uh, Bo from Sayosin on this week. I'm arranging a Sayosin mm-hmm. song now that we'll, we're, we're going to hear. I think Devin and Toby are going to try and sing like uh, oh, Anthony yeah. Green. See if they can get up there. <laughs> Cannot sing like that. And Bo's going to do guitar on it. But I, the arrangement's turning out pretty cool. So I'm excited about that. But uh, what we're doing is uh, basically we just made an album almost on accident in the last 10 weeks just by keeping ourselves yeah. occupied and busy. But I think we're going to do EPs, maybe. But I think we're probably just going to keep this thing rolling and continue to make music and put it out, put it on Spotify playlists from time to time. But all this music we're creating is just going to belong to Emeryland. It'll just be assets in Emeryland. So we're about to dump two EPs to Emeryland. Uh, it's Are You Listening? Uh, compilations. What are we going to call it? Uh, emo Mixtape Volume 1 and 2 yep. we're about to drop. So that'll be a series that we'll just continue indefinitely because it's fun. I don't know exactly what the pace of it'll be. And then we'll let some out on Spotify once in a while. But check out our show, Are You Listening, on Sunday nights. And that's on Twitch. Sometimes we go to Facebook, too. But you can find Emory Music on Twitch. We have Salesman this week. Join Emory Land and you get all of our music and keep us you know, we have a fully funded creative outfit going we get to work on music and we're going to give it to you as much as we can as fast as we can and build up a big library of content that is in emory land and then we let some of it out on spotify but that's kind of how it's oh, yeah. going at, at this point it's very live there's a community there so emorymusic.com join emory land today's show yeah, for sure. sponsored by hello tushy Ditch paper products and uncomfortable chafing when you switch to soothing, cleansing stream of water from a Hello Tushy bidet attachment. Get 10% off by going to hellotushy.com slash badchristian. Okay. We'll do an ad for Tushy in a little while, but I enjoy mine. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, I use it a lot. (laughs) Uh, Man, I just got back from vacation. Mm -hmm. I went on a short little vacation and... uh, I don't think I got COVID. We went to the beach. We stayed at a condo that was kind of more like a hotel that, that you know setting. It, we ended up staying on the tenth floor. I didn't know. I thought it was a low floor, and so we had to ride the elevator a few times. Uh, one of the funniest things that happened was I was on the inside of the elevator by the buttons, and then it was my three kids, and then my wife was at the door. And we walked in, and then uh, I immediately pushed the button. But right as I had pushed the button, these two older ladies—I mean, they probably were like. 70 to 80 years old and the lady goes would y'all mind if we rode with you and Je- <laughs> jess looks at me because they didn't see me they just see jess. jess looks at me and then she looks at them and she goes well I, but as she was saying it, the door just closed <laughs> and, I was, and, and I, we were so happy i was just so happy i was like uh, i mean we can't we're not gonna potentially get them sick if we have it and they're not gonna get us sick and it was so funny because jess didn't know what to do but we just did not want mm. these probably sweet little old ladies 
but just just so happened I did the perfect amount of hit hit the button at the perfect time to stop it. But it'd so be funny really if funny. Jess has slowly raised her bird fingers as the door closes. Yeah. <laughs> would be what I would like to see in that scene. I wish you would have done that. <laughs> Hell no. Hell no, old lady. You you lived your life. Let us live ours. I tell you but, what, uh, their their lack of fear of I mean, honestly, anybody's lack of fear of COVID is something that I admire. When I look back on it the whole time, I do, I do. Like my dad, okay, so when the thing started, I, I was scared, you know. Like I was scared of COVID when it was coming down and it was right. a really unknown. I, You know, in my mind, uh, well, my dad and my mother-in-law, they're dead and they're going to die alone. I won't even get to see them. I thought that was a given. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> But then when I talked to them, they didn't seem so scared, which I thought was right. like, well, they're so dumb. <laughs> but they're not they're not dumb they, they knew something somehow and they're they're still more people could be more scared of COVID I get that but yeah. I just do have an admiration for the for that attitude that many people have been even through the whole thing I think Devin is like that too I was thinking about that yesterday Devin doesn't worry a ton about the past no. or the future I'm not saying he's the ultra-present guru of all time or anything, but he would say, well, I'll worry about that when it comes along. If that happens, right. fine, but I'm not going to live a life in fear of or worry about all these other things. And I think some of the older people, I think they're, I mean, would you think they're, you think they're just tough and strong and brave? <laughs> I mean, is that part, of, or they right. just don't care or they, if they live or die? Maybe or, they live through so much yeah. or something, or like they, they saw this, I mean, old people, if you're, 80 years old, you have probably lived through some really horrific stuff. Yeah. And so at this point, you're like, what? Sounds like the flu or, you know. or Like or, a 70-year-old you know, like my dad. Like, I know he didn't understand the math, the exponential curve, the case. I know right. he didn't understand it, so he didn't know how scared he should be. But he was able to right. not be scared, even though he is an at-risk population. Right. So that that's saying something about a person's mind. That doesn't mean they're an idiot. Right. Now, if he caught it, he'd he'd feel dumb though he would right <laughs> that's true you're right i mean he well, would i guess it, but, yeah. yeah so but I mean, he's gonna feel like a king if he never gets it yeah told you right he's gonna, yeah. told you <laughs> told you that's exactly what a dad yeah. would say <laughs> yeah. oh y'all yeah. over here worrying about this thing whatever uh, i'll tell you this and i gotta talk quietly because my wife's in the next room her mom i saw somebody say this and it's really true because i do this southerners and it, maybe it's everybody but southerners don't really like calling it COVID or Corona, no, so yeah. that that thing going around, or yeah, uh, you yeah. know the all this happening, this, this, this craziness, everything happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> don't want to get, don't name it, do not claim it, do not name it. But her mom always act like she can't say it. You know, it's that co, What do you, I don't know what it is? You know, yeah. you know Corona. That's part of it. Co- I mean, that's part you know, of like, it. Yeah, it's just you keep but, it vague and not real to you. You don't have to deal right. with it on the same yes. terms that I do. Yeah, which is very quantifiable and somewhat painful to wrestle with right that's the method but it's kind of like me it's probably a little bit too like i think if i say it more it, it becomes more real so mm-hmm. i'll say i'm a little superstitious of it as long if i if i don't say it <laughs> out loud that much there's less impact knowledge i know that's not true but it feels like i'm not giving in to naming it or making it real yeah I think you know so. what i mean or something like that so it's really funny but i mean they are brave but anyway we were at the beach and it was it was great man i was pretty happy like uh on the beach, you can social distance a good bit. And uh, I mean, I, we haven't been to the beach in, I guess, since we lived in Charleston. So it's been four years since wow. we've been to the beach. 
And it is just awesome. Oh, yeah. It was so great being back. I mean, I just was like, oh, this is fun. My kids love, I mean, they just love the beach. I mean, kids just immediately get it. Whoa, this water smashes you. Oh, my God. It's salty. Oh, it's in my mouth. Oh, no. You know, like, I just, what, what just touched my foot? Ah, you know, it's just like unbelievable fun that's just the world gave us. Mm-hmm. That's what I can't believe. Like, down the strip, you know, there's all these Ripley's Believe It or Nots and all, you know, all this different stuff to try and get you put, put cords and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, the ocean is there and the world just made it. Yeah. And, it, it's, and it, it's, it, it's, it's mesmerizing amazing. to kids and adults alike. And get this. Everybody, all of humans who've ever lived, also had that same common experience of just right, being right. like the same experience that your son and you have. Which, amazingly, the the beach and the ocean is wildly entertaining to the two of you for different reasons. Also, all humans for hundred thousand years have the right. same experience being near the sea. In that, crazy, it's, that's a it? deep thing, man. There's a lot there. It's, it's huge. Or go play I mean, putt putt. Right. <laughs> a haunted house. <laughs> anyway, uh, we got a great episode here today. I am really excited. Matt, you found this lady. She has a great podcast. What, uh, it's Debbie. Yeah, from, Debbie from the from Tilt, Tilt Parenting, Parenting Podcast. It's, it's a podcast I've been listening to on and off for a long time, and she just has different experts on yeah. in the area of differently wired kids or parenting, unschooling, homeschooling, just all the kinds of things in that. And she is able to get great information and speak about it in a way, curate a perfect feed where it doesn't, I don't know how to say it, but all I know is whenever I try to get into any of these topics, I it, it doesn't really go well. And she does it week by week and it's just it helps me a ton. So I thought it'd be great to expose some people to her, especially given the fact that school is in the way up in the air right now and everybody's going crazy with their kids. If they're driving you half as crazy as my kids are driving me, then, you know, it's a good opportunity for us to, you know, think deeper about our kids and how we think about ourselves, kids, school, all that. Her podcast does that all the time. And so I just wanted to expose some more people to her and thrilled to be able to get her on the show today. Um, She'll join us in just a second. But before that, Toby, why don't you tell them about your butt? I, I, well, I got a good question. Before we bring her on, I got a great okay. question. People listening, do you have a butthole? <laughs> if so, <laughs> then this ad is for you. Seriously, it's hard to believe that when we go to the bathroom in this country, most of us wipe instead of wash, which is true. I mean, I, if you got poo on your hand, you do not wipe it off with paper. A dry piece of you, paper. Here, here yeah, you go. A dry piece of paper. You, should, like, you, you know, get you, some you shit on, the, on your elbow? Here's a dry <laughs> piece of paper. <laughs> For years, though, uh, bidets have been available, but they are just horrifically, hideously expensive. I mean, seriously, costing like thousands of dollars. It's, it's, it's wild how expensive they've been. But the Hello Tushy Modern Bidet Attachment is here to democratize the blessings bestowed by bidets and offer clean buttholes to everyone. Hello Tushy cleans your butt with a, pre- a precise stream of fresh water, which I can attest to. That's a fresh stream of water right to your butthole for just seventy nine dollars. The best. I mean, come on. It, I mean, unbelievable. It, 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 it's worth every penny. I would have paid double. I used to fly It'd to t- Japan just to get my butt cleaned like that. Right. <laughs> uh, it attaches to your existing toilet. Requires no electricity or additional plumbing, and cuts toilet paper use by eighty percent. You know that COVID thing when all the toilet paper was gone. Mm-hmm. I no wasn't worried. I wasn't worried. So the Hello Tushy bidet pays for itself, basically, in just a few months. Uh, because with Hello Tushy, you don't wipe at all. Uh, even the best two-ply can just cut it. Uh, uh, even the best two-ply just can't cut it 
when it comes to a hands-free poop experience, ditch paper products and uncomfortable uh, chafing when you switch to the soothing, cleansing stream of water from a Hello Tushy bidet attachment. And every Hello Tushy bidet attachment comes with a 60-day risk-free guarantee and a 12-month warranty. I mean, seriously, what are you waiting on? Join millions of happy Hello Tushy customers right now and have a clean butt with every flush. So go to hellotushy.com uh, forward slash bad Christian to get 10% off. Uh, and this is a special offer just for our listeners, seriously. So you go to hellotushy.com slash bad Christian for 10% off. Hellotushy.com slash bad Christian. All right, let's get to the interview. Okay, thanks. Right before we get to the interview, I'll just tell you guys you should join the BC Club right now. We oh, yeah. are just started a BC 69 challenge, which is a 69-day mental, physical workout, fitness, self-betterment program that we're doing this no summer. No alcohol. No alcohol. We're going to go 69 days of that. It started yesterday. You can join late, but join the BC Club, and then as a function of that, join our workout mental, physical workout community yep. thing that we're doing. We've had good results with it in the past, and we would love to have you. If you've been thinking about joining the BC Club, join now, and for that reason, and we'll see you. Isn't it funny that, like, think about 20 years ago, somebody said, when you grow up, you're going to be a podcaster. You would, yep. you do wouldn't under, you couldn't have understood it, right? No chance. Like you, could, you couldn't have understood what they meant. It, you just said, oh, like the radio, <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's so funny when you say she's a pro. I was thinking, yeah, she's a, I mean, it's a pro. Yeah. That the funny exist. thing is I went to college. My undergraduate degree was in video production. Actually, it was broadcast cable was called because cable was new. It was this new crazy thing we were learning about. And I learned how to edit on three quarter inch tape, reel to reel. And yeah, crazy. Oh, you cut tape with a razor blade? Well, I did audio tape the I guess that would have been, I don't even know, really small for yeah. audio. And then the, yeah, the other ones where I was using three-quarter inch giant wow. big block like yeah. uh, tape. Yeah, that's great. That's that's fun. That it, The mass communication is, it's a funny thing when you think about it from a school, how much it's changed and would change. But And it's a very important topic and there's lots to learn on it. But whatever you learned in the 90s or a decade ago or whatever, it's just not. It's just not any five-year-old can do what I learned in <laughs> <Yeah>. college. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and podcasting is a big, it's just a, you know, it, it, we've been doing it for a long time and it, it got to where you, at some point several years ago, we were doing all this complicated video. I was like, wow, they're doing video and they can be there and they can live stream. And now it's just anybody turns on zoom is doing the thing that we, <laughs> it's just right. getting that. So you might as well keep learning new things is the good news about yep. it all. And don't, <laughs> don't get married to anything that you think is, important in the moment technology wise at least but thanks for joining us debbie we'll we'll just do soft roll in we'll um we're not actually streaming live but uh we will capture this video if that's okay with you sure cool well debbie could you start by getting us uh a little bit caught up with you and your story i want to talk about your podcast and a bunch of different guests and topics and the philosophy of of what you do i think it's just quite valuable and amazing the, the the total feed and set of information that you particularly curate i'm dying to know what are your values and principles that that set that curation but before we do that uh i would just i'd like for i know a little bit because i listen to your podcast but uh could you help catch us up on who you are and how you you know with your kid and and how you got into so interested in uh this world i don't even know how you describe this world so <laughs> sure so, excuse me, 
Yeah, so I have kind of a long, buried career path. This is not what I plan to do. Um, I used to work in kids' television and documentary production. And then actually before I pivoted and started working in this space for parents, I used to write kind of self-help nonfiction books for teenagers. So I've been one of those people who throughout my career, I've always um, been drawn to volunteering or working with organizations that were close to my heart and then also using my skills as a researcher and a writer and an activist and all of those things to to support those causes and so for many years it was kind of at-risk teen girls and that was something I was passionate about and then in 2004 I gave birth to a son which was really confusing to me because I was doing all this work for girls and I couldn't fathom like I, there was a big disconnect yeah, right. for me um and so but I kept doing the work for teen girls while raising this son and you know as he got older and we started realizing okay this isn't your typical kid we've got here and uh it figuring out kind of who he was and getting, just gaining understanding about what it means to actually be neurodivergent. And, you know, as he was in preschool, we started recognizing, okay, he's really precocious and he's really intense and this is really hard and this isn't typical. And um, over the next few years, being his parent took up a lot more of my time, both as an advocate, like trying to work with schools and figure out how to get him the support he needed, um, figuring out what actually was going on with him, getting him, you know, a social skills group. And I, I just kind of found my work pivoting and I felt this big kind of um, pull to be continuing this other work. And I, I finally just realized, you know what, I, right, it's time for me to just completely change and put all these skills and energy I have into supporting other families like like mine who are raising kids who are in some way what I call differently wired because there it's really difficult to navigate a path when you start realizing your child is moving through the world in a different way and it's hard to find resources and it's really confusing and overwhelming and frustrating and isolating and I experienced all of those things and you know in kind of coming through that and doing a lot of work to turn things around for our family, I just felt really called to to take again the skills that I have as a researcher and a resource gatherer mm. and create something for other parents so they don't have to go through what I went through. I think that's the theme of my life is I always create what I needed. And uh -huh, I wish yes, to have I been around. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is perfect. That, that was really well put. Uh, and I don't know all your background. So that was a lot of that. Some of that information was fresh to me. Um, I was, I'm most interested to hear you say that you, those skills as a researcher, you had all this work going into it. It really does explain why the curation of your feed and the guest. I mean, it's just really amazing. Like we tried to do a podcast, and I never know what it's about and if it's got a topic or a theme or whatever. It, 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 but yours is so clear that it belongs on this show and that it is in the set of values that you must have and that you must have arrived at through a real process. This isn't just some yeah. thing. And so the terms that you said in that last uh, bit when you were talking – 
you said differently wired, which is a big category. Uh, your, your podcast, the Tilt Parenting Podcast, and I think it says something about. Is a description say differently wired? Subtitle has that in it. Yeah. How, yeah, supporting what? information for parents raising differently wired kids. Yes. And then earlier in that, you said neurodivergent. So that term, mm-hmm. it, if differently wired man, I think everybody gets that generally. Um, but that kind of points toward the term neurodivergent, which I don't, neurodiversity is just, I believe that's not really a well known thing. You know, I think, I don't know where we're at on that, but I feel that it will be a very important topic in you know, the coming decade or so. I have a sense mm-hmm. about that. But right now I think it's still most people are unfamiliar with the term. So what is it what what is that term? Yeah, so the neurodiversity movement was really started by the autistic community. And so they kind of own that that terminology. And the idea of neurodiversity is that there is not one way to be, that there is no normal, but actually people on the autism spectrum and people whose brains are differently wired, that all falls within the normal variance of how our brains can exist and experience the world. And so um, the neurodiversity movement is really pushing towards more acceptance and understanding, not that there's something wrong uh, with people on the spectrum, but rather this is just a different expression of the way that our brains can 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 be. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I use the term neurodivergence or neurodifferences to kind of, again, group in beyond autism, but to looking at things like learning disabilities and dysgraphia or being gifted or having ADHD, all the things I include within the differently wired umbrella. Mm-hmm. So it's a very strengths-based approach to looking at things that that in the past have predominantly been seen as deficits or negatives or something we need to fix. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about neurodivergence, you're really just talking about it in a much more positive strengths-based way. Not that there are not challenges, but that this is more something we need to understand rather than try to fix. Yes. Yeah, so for autism, for instance, uh, there, there's people that that want to cure it, and then there's people that don't. For instance, is that mm-hmm. does that that fits into that, yeah. that kind of thing? And absolutely. I mean, I think you know we know that autism is a spectrum, and there is such a range of of experiences, the saying is, if you know one autistic person, you know one autistic person, mm-hmm. because it looks different. And and whether, and, you know, there's functioning labels, which the autistic community is really, you know, mostly not uh, appreciative of high functioning, low functioning. Um, the reality is that anyone who's autistic has some challenges more in, other, in areas mm-hmm. than others. And, and so everyone's kind of kind of working through this, but the idea of fixing um, or curing is perceived as very negative um, mm-hmm. among the autistic community because it's basically saying you're you're saying that th- that I'm wrong, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm wrong is who I am. And um, so, yeah, so what I'm trying to do through TILT, part of my mission is to change that paradigm. So does that mean then, uh, would you say then, does that mean that a lot of these things we call neurodivergences are not, in fact, disabilities then? Yeah, I mean, this is really tricky. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm i not opposed to the word disability or disorder. Um, 
other than the stigma that can be associated, which I think can be really harmful and can prevent families from seeking support and services for their kids, for example, who would really benefit from that. Um, but I do think that we need to change the conversation again around difference so that whether we call it a disorder or a disability, but instead of instead of holding everyone up to this standard of there's there's one way to be and you know there's one way for a child to learn and there's one way for you know a, an office place to look and function that is really that's leaving out at least 20% of the population mm-hmm. who are charged with having to somehow fit in mm-hmm. and so what i hope to do and I'm, there are many of us doing this work is to instead foster awareness that, you know, having, looking at things differently or having your brain experience things in a different way isn't necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't mean that it might not be challenging or you might need extra supports in certain situations. Uh, and in some cases, it certainly can be a disability depending on the environment that depending you're on in. The environment. Yeah. I think right. that's the distinction that, and it, it relates to, I think some people are familiar with ableism where you would say something along the lines of, it's not. There's nothing wrong with this person, but the environment. Maybe left-handed people is a good example. If you're left-handed, you are. Uh, the world is not built predominantly for you, and you will have challenges. Mm-hmm. I, there's probably even some mental health links, a higher, you know, injury or even suicide rates, probably for left-handed people. But it's clearly because they just simply live in a world that is shaped a way that doesn't fit them exactly. Yeah. So the, those are outcomes, not that there's no disability of their handedness there. Yeah. And and in fact, my son is a fencer and he would say that if he was a left-handed fencer, he'd be, have a huge advantage. Exactly. Or in baseball, (laughs) same way. And so the neurotype, if, if, if for instance, autism could be a neurotype, maybe it is, uh, just one, one, like a temperament or personality style, or just a, you know, particularly style of neural configuration, it probably is very advantageous in many situations and environments for different people mm-hmm. in different ways, uh, but in certain ones it will it will show up as a disability. But there is no ultimate arbiter of, I mean, it, it, autism and most of these things. Let's let's go beyond just autism. But it seems like most of these, I don't know. I, I'm real negative on diagnosis and labels. Just to catch you up on that part, I I resist mm-hmm. them. I've always resisted them, but I've always uh, my story is one of of dodging diagnosis for forty years. But uh, They've always seemed not really right or true, and they always change, and what they say is wrong with this, and it's not that. And then there's all these people with ADD, and they think there's something wrong with them, and them carrying around that feeling of, well, you know, I have the disability, so of course that's why I'm a goofball or I can't do, you know. That whole system of thinking is always just really uh, driven me crazy. But a lot of the things in there, um, they're not even testable real things they're just more like a syndrome or something where it's a group of things that we label and then call it something like a disease and people think there's like oh you could test for it or something like genetically but it's not it's really just a set of behaviors that -hmm. come from that just are kind of emergent from being a person and then they get labeled as disease and then people carry that right and it's a lot of the diagnostic processes are super subjective. And so, you know, the autism diagnosis for one, you know, there is a standard for diagnosing that, but it, there are a number of traits and, you know, if you have, you know, 
X number of these traits, then you know you're you're you get that diagnosis. But there's a decision point along the way. There's no blood test. There's no genetic. You know, it, it is a decision that the assessor. It's a call that they make on these things. And so, um, I hear you with the labels. I mean, I I'm not opposed to them because they. I know that they can provide. They can get kids the services and and accommodations they need in school. And so that can be really important to have those diagnoses. However. I'm really trying to erase the stigma associated with certain things. And at the end of the day, I think a lot of people want a diagnosis for their kids because they think that it's going to give them an answer and it's going to solve everything that's hard. And it doesn't at all. It's just information. And as you said, it's really more about the symptoms. It's about the, the ways that, you know, the areas of a person's life where they are experiencing challenge. And that's what we need to support. You know, the label is kind of, again, it's just for insurance or, you know, getting a kid an IEP in school. And so I think the system is flawed for sure. I would totally agree with, with that. Yes. I mean, of course it's good to have a community. I mean, there's plenty of resources just by getting behind a label that you could then find and uh, learn from and, and, all kind of stuff when, once you have a label to rally behind to find the, the materials on. But when that label is taken on, especially as a young child, as an identity, or even the parents pushing the identity on the kid and telling them, you are this, you are this, you are this thing. We found out because the doctor said you're that. That can just have impacts that I've seen be really, you know, really well, negative. I, I was going to say, too, that part of the problem with me with some of the labels is it puts the full onus, and we'll just stay even right here, maybe on a child or on a parent, as opposed to, for example, like ADHD, oftentimes I, I, has bothered me how quickly maybe sometimes it's been, you know, prescribed medicine or, you know, when I was in elementary school is when it really started ramping up. It's been many years ago. But the idea of that is that there's something wrong with the child and it's not the boring class. It's not the, the seat. It's not the desk. It's not the, it, it, like, the thing that ends up happening, the identity, and I, I just, I mean, I just saw it with friends. Yeah, I have attention. I have ADD. You know, I can't, I just can't. Like, wait, hold on. Who told you that? Why do you just immediately believe it? And what does it actually mean? That, the, I guess I would say labels can be good. Oftentimes it feels almost as if the label is immediately derogatory or negative in a way. Like, like, like with autism, I feel like, you know, that, it feels like autism sometimes is almost a bad word. You gotta you know, hey, don't don't say that too quickly. I mean, I felt that way with with our own child. Uh, we have a son. Uh, he's seven years old, and he's wired differently. I would say that. I love that you use that because that feels. Oh, I got a breath of fresh air because everybody might be wired differently. That that that, that it, you know, and uh, we haven't got any diagnosis or anything like that. But I, I remember hearing the word autism, and I immediately in my mind thought. A negative thought. I thought maybe possible disability. I'm a thought. You thought uh, retarded, he, right? Yeah. Well, it maybe. I mean, is that I, what I, you it, think when you don't? I, I might you don't thought, know. Well, you know, from where you come from and grow up, wouldn't that? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be synonymous? In, it, in well, it, Greer yeah, in especially the 80s? growing up in the South, <laughs> right. or you know, the words that people would throw around and stuff like that. You're right. Like it, it kind of felt like that, and I was like, wait a minute, I'm not. I I immediately kind of got defensive, and then I, uh, you know, through talking with my wife and some teachers who are who were good teachers. Um, we're just taking it slow and letting it figure out. But I, I cannot, I'm not going to let him feel like he ha- has something r- really wrong that it's going to hurt him for the rest of his life. I just don't want that. I want him to know because he's really smart and awesome and funny. I'm sure like you, 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 your kid, you know, you, 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 the parent gets to see all that stuff. So 
uh, I think for me, just even going back to that, some of the labels are, I'm glad that your site would say something like differently wired because it feels it kind of feels more like a breath of fresh air. I'm, I'm sure you probably do that intentionally, but is that part of it? Like when you say you want to change some of the, or you, the labels or the, the names of, of some of these conditions, is that, do you see it as a negative that when people are diagnosed a certain way, like, is it, are, are, are they feeling negative with their identity? I'm very aware of the power of words. And so I actually just did a poll with my community about this last week because I saw an ad that referred to learning disability, like dyslexia as an illness. And I took right. great offense at yes, that. Yes. Um, so, you know, I use the term differently wired because I am a proponent of a strengths based model that I do not believe there's anything wrong with our kids. And and I also want them to really understand who they are and to feel good about who they are. And that doesn't mean, again, that they don't have challenges, you know, um, that they're not going to get frustrated if they have ADHD and they find they really struggle with distraction and it, and it to a point where it really gets in their way. That's hard. And so that's something we, we want to support around. So I'm more about um, erasing the stigma associated with, with labels, normalizing what is normal, right? The, right. There, there's nothing broken or wrong with these kids. And again, like the statistics, the number that's thrown out all the time is one in five, but it's so much more than that. So many more kids, people, humans on the planet are differently wired. And, you know, even if it's one in five, that's over a billion people on the planet who are differently wired. So why are we treating them like outliers? And so, so I use differently wired because I want to, to kind of have that be an umbrella for all of us. So we're not divided into these little buckets of like the autism needs this mm -hmm. and they're over mm -hmm. here and the dyslexia kids over here and they need this, but rather no, we're all in this together and we need to kind of use our voices to say, Hey, you guys have to change your schools to fit us. We're not, we don't need to change who we are or, you know, go on, I don't want to talk about medication because that's a very personal choice, but I, I think we put such a focus on getting kids through a school system that was not designed for them. And so I hope that we can, can start to recognize that there's just so many different ways to learn and to be, and they're not wrong ways. They're just different. I would even say, too, you were just talking about that one in five. Like, I've just been reading a lot. Matt's kind of opened um, my eyes a little bit, too. Just the idea, like, I mean, autism for the longest time was a boy issue, right? It was just males. And then the idea that, uh, and like, one, one of the things that has bothered me in recent years is uh, anti-vaxxers and then saying, well, look what's going to happen if you give them that vaccine. They're going to get autism. Like, what? If you're an autistic person, how how are you supposed to what what is total I mean, fear mongering? Right, and it, I mean it has to make you seem like uh oh. Instead, my parents, I wish they wouldn't have given me that vaccine because <laughs> now I have a real problem. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it, maybe they saved me from polio, but look at me now. Or, or but they're, like you said, I love that. Like you don't have to look at it like they're broken. I, I, I that is the thing that bothers me the most. I, I just anytime you see a kid that feels broken or less than. Or whatever it might be, not not even a condition, you know. Just feel like I was a fat kid, you know, when I when I was in entry school. I know what it feels to like feel different, and like, hey, uh oh, they're gonna notice the difference in my. I'm wearing it around my waist and my chin, and you know, they're gonna see it immediately. And I know what it's like to have to 
you know, kind of navigate some of that. And then, so I, I'm appreciative that you're saying that, but it is interesting. Like our culture, it does seem like that, that they are looking at it with a real stigma of, uh Oh, yeah. you have, you have this like y'all, like y'all were saying disease. It does seem like well, yeah, we're well, calling it a disease, terrible illness. disease. You just got a terrible right. disease. Of, of, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember having a conversation with my son years ago, um, where I was saying, Oh, I read this article and they were talking about, this condition in utero that increases the risk of having a child on the spectrum. And my son was like, I'm sorry, risk. What do they think it is a disease? Like he was, I'm like, <laughs> Oh yeah, good point. But we're, we're surrounded by that language. People talk about the epidemic of autism and people, I mean, it's all medicalized and all of that makes it seem like it's a bad thing. And so of course parents are going to be stress. New parents are going to be like reading the checklist and like making sure, gosh, I sure hope my kid hits these markers. So I don't have to worry about that because it's perceived as such a negative, bad thing. Yes. So that makes it, uh, that makes its way into, well, let's do the other side of the coin. You, it's on one hand over diagnosis there, but like Toby mentioned, there seems to be a huge underdiagnosis problem or recognition with women right. and autism, right? If it, because if we're looking at it like it's just a neurotype and a way of your brain being wired, of course there's plenty of women with that, and it does. It just happens to not show up so much for a few different reasons. One of your episodes with Jennifer Cook, she has the, the book Autism and Heals. I, I haven't read it yet, but I love the episode with her and have talked to her about having her on this show. Um, but so much of that just makes so much sense to me and I think is really affecting a lot of people. Um, would you h help explain that because you'll do a better job than me of why it is that, that a lot of women that they don't show up as having autistic. Cause it's like 90,000 conditions. We uh, say little boys have, I think that's mm -hmm. a, little, a bit of a weird yeah. asymmetry. <laughs> yeah. And I would say this, it happens with ADHD too as well. Cause the stereotypical kid with ADHD is like a disheveled, like hyperactive little boy. Um, with the girls on the spectrum, when they're younger, girls are more kind of wired to, to care about their social lives. They just are. And so, um, in a different way than boys are. And so, so often they have, they care more about how they're perceived. And so, that masks, they're good at masking. That's the term that, you know, so many women who've been, especially been identified later, they're like, I was masking the whole time, which basically means they were faking it so that they could fit in. But they were so motivated by wanting to fit in and by wanting those relationships, even though they felt, you know, struggled to make those connections, that that was enough of a motivator for them to do this extra work to mask. And so it just shows up differently. Um, at home, they might be doing the same things. They might be, you know, exhibiting some of the same behaviors that we might see with kids, uh, with boys on the spectrum. But it just, they, it, I think because they, they mask so well and it just was believed for so long to be really just a male. If you look at Hans Asperger's, he only studied, you know, boys. And so it just, these kids, girls just have, have gone through the cracks. And so a lot of, people who diagnose aren't even looking. They don't even know what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And so these kids, and the hard part about it is that a lot of girls are diagnosed maybe in middle school, whereas some of the boys would be getting this, this you know, identification in early elementary school. And so that's years of 
potential, you know, occupational therapy or social skills or other kinds of support that would, mm -hmm. would help that child. Um, and it's been fascinating. I mean, even in doing this work, I did one episode where I had four adults on who discovered their diagnosis through going through the process of having their child assessed. And yeah, so there's yeah. this whole generation of, of, oh of grownups in their 30s and 40s who, or, or 50s who are realizing, oh, oh. that explains everything. <laughs> and so there's like, you know, there's in yeah. some way it's a relief, in some way it's sad, yeah. right? Because they feel sad for the kid that never got the support they needed. Mm -hmm. And it's super complicated. Yeah, it's, bo it's both sides. On one hand, you get a label and you realize that and you know deep down before you understand how the world works that you're broken so you live that way and then but on the other hand if you go your whole life unnoticed and you are successful at masking then you just live your whole life feeling isolated like an alien that doesn't understand yeah. you figure out everybody else knows everything but i don't know i pretend mm -hmm. and you think that's exactly. just your unique plight and you don't know that millions of people are just like you doing the same right. thing because yeah. of the way society is shaped so mm -hmm. all of this to me on both sides of that coin, really come to a head and focus with the bottleneck of school and parenting. And th there's very good reasons why parents are the way they are and schools are the way they are. I mean, I understand it's not that those are just parents are evil and schools are evil. That's not the point, not a point I want to make. But they're, the social pressure between parents and the achievement focus and the, you know, the way that these systems and institutions have evolved, there is a lot of pressure to, to just have your kid. Uh, I don't know how, to, how, if, how you would speak about that, but I think a lot of people come to realize through your work that it's totally fine for school not to be for them. <laughs> That's, mm -hmm. I don't know a way to say that without saying speaking negatively about school, which is a great taboo. So in my life, the two biggest taboos I've ever run across are wanting to speak about people's parenting and schools. And every time I try to do it, it goes t terribly bad. And so I feel that energy, but you seem to navigate that well. How would you speak to that parent school conformity problem? Yeah. I mean, we know that schools were created the school model that most schools are using was created a long time ago, you know, in the industrial age. I mean, it was, it was, it, it was to keep kids busy, right. Where they're, while their parents were working, it was to give them a certain set of skills and we haven't really changed that. And so the reality of the situation is that your the traditional school model is not designed to support kids who learn differently. It's just not, you know, it, it's very much based on, on compliance, on um, kids who test well, um, kids who 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 are pretty emotionally regulated, who read social cues and can kind of go along, um, and who have some uh, internal drivers, right? Who can be motivated by grades or by other things. Differently wired kids, you know, tend to learn differently. They demonstrate their knowledge in a completely different way. So they may test terribly, but they may be able to, you know, give you an oral speech on something that would, you know, blow your socks off. Um, they, uh, you know, kids with ADHD, for example, they often need to move their bodies. They are not a kid who's going to be able to sit still and listen to a lecture. Um, a kid with a learning disability is really going to struggle potentially with having with the amount of reading and and or writing handwriting like there are just so many ways that kids are expected 
to demonstrate their knowledge that completely don't mesh with the way that differently wired kids who can be brilliant um, can can share what they've learned or contribute to to a classroom culture. So they're kind of set up to fail. And that's really challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, you know my story that we pulled Asher out of school in third grade and I homeschooled him for six years. So um, because he was, we had been through three schools in that time, they all were pretty negative experiences. And I've got a twice exceptional kid who's off the charts on his IQ and is he's just the most fascinating human that I know. And he not only, I mean, his grades were fine, but his self-esteem was in the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't willing to watch that happen. And so we had, you know, the the privilege and the possibility to be able to homeschool him, which I know is just not a possibility for so many families for many reasons. But but I think it's really challenging when you have these kids that don't fit in the box because we spend all our energy on trying to push them through. Yeah, there's a and, big pressure on that to mainstream your kid, no child left yeah, behind. If you can just get them right. through until they're 18, you will have saved them but or crushed them. I don't know which. Yeah, but at Maybe what Maybe think price, about that. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah right. exactly. I mean, if if a kid gets through, but they're they feel bad about themselves, they identify as the bad kid, they think they're not smart, right. and they've basically been crushed. And, and they haven't learned, really, right. right? Because they haven't been able to focus on their strengths. We've spent all our time trying to fo- dwell on their deficits because that's where they need the most work. So then they come out broken down and not even knowing you know, where their genius lies. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really... Uh, think of all the time not in developing their true skills. Like, yeah. oh, you know, when you're young is kind of when you're supposed to develop and you can learn a lot and do a lot. Well, don't w- worry about any of that stuff. Worry about all this stuff until you're an adult. Then you can figure... I mean, that's it's yeah. really insane to lose those years of development on the things mm-hmm. that would matter to that individual. It's just... Yeah. And it's all... It seems like there's just a perfect storm of pressure of a institution that's just you know been left to to go for that long un you know not unchecked or anything but it's just you know it has its issues and then the parents strong desire to just have a normal kid which the kid can totally feel of course if that you know i just wish my kid was normal can you just be normal for me (laughs) they can feel that you know yeah totally our kids know when we're talking you know when we're talking about them and mm-hmm. and lowering our voice or okay. you know they they know if if they if we think there's something wrong with them they're gonna even if we're saying something completely different to them they're gonna absorb that and it's gonna impact them. Um, I I wanted to jump back because I wanted to make the uh point when we were talking about women and autism. Um, by the way, but a lot of these things would show up as outcomes though. If it just gets you know if you take a kid and put it in the wrong system and make it ha- just deal with it, there'll be outcomes that will have mental health outcomes, physical outcomes, and you said then it get into medication and misdiagnosis and total misunderstanding. But one of them that I thought was fascinating uh, from Jennifer Cook was about eating disorders are a big mm-hmm. sign of female autism. Is that, mm-hmm. is that, did I hear that correctly? Yeah. Correlated? Was, um, I have heard that Jennifer did share that. And, and also I had a guest on the show recently who about ADHD and sleep in kids and his other specialty is also um, eating and body issues mm-hmm. among kids with ADHD. So I think some of the 
aspects of some of these narrow differences that might be very um, focused on overanalyzing things or being very wanting to control things can can bleed into other areas of, of life. So I did find that interesting and it's not something that I was aware of until Jennifer mentioned it. I think she said that if it, uh, if there's not an, a trauma present that's obvious that you would know about, but there is an eating disorder, then that is a big thing that so you should investigate that person's neurodiversity or see if they would qualify for possibly an autism diagnosis. It's a, it's a, and it must be something about, yeah, like you said, just uh, repetitive thinking or overanalyzing. And then we all know food is just a basic area that we can control. So we're looking for, con- and that one you can control. And if you overthink and whatever, so it shows up, which I thought was fascinating, you know? Yeah. And she also said that the, a lot of girls will do stuff like instead of arrange all their cars and trucks, they arrange eat maybe in their mind, lots of things about their Barbies or so like plan out all the wedding invitations and how they're going to do everything. <laughs> Like in a in a more of a mechanical way, I thought both of those t- things were were very fascinating. But you can see how systems of conformity obviously can can create those pressures that can then just have you know mental mental and physical health outcomes that then get mm-hmm. treated and, and misunderstood and and on down the road. Totally, it's funny that you're saying that. Like uh, Ike would line up his cars, and I started thinking. I was like, wait a minute, what it, it, if we're self-diagnosing or we're looking at this or whatever, I'm immediately going, no, he needs to be smashing them because he's a yes, boy. <laughs> and right. if he's not smashing the cars, then what? maybe he, he is. Th- and I was like, I have to think differently about this because <laughs> he's having such a good time. What in the, what, what in the world am I? What? I want to go in there and make him smash stuff when he's he's totally content, super happy with what he's doing. And it looks cool. Like I was like, that's actually, I, could, I can't do that. And so I, I, that, I think looking at it differently and then, expanding it but that's the thing too like what you guys were saying earlier i I feel so uh i feel sometimes overwhelmed because autism or like uh, for example i think matt was the one that told me this is is asperger's even a term anymore are we even is that even i mean not technically in the dsm anymore now it's not even using that right i mean it's it feels like it's changing and maybe that's a good thing but also i feel like autism is so big it's hard to even know like it it feels like uh the same way as you know political media and social media, they, they show you the worst possible thing. You know, if, if there's a peaceful protest, they're going to show you the one person that, you know, did something terrible or whatever. And it's not really that way. I feel like it's that way with, with autism. And I'm sure that's part of that stigma that you, you probably saw with your child. And did you see that in it? Like when you said you, you, you took your son out of school, did you feel that from the, the teachers, the school, the system? Like, what was it that was like the final straw? Was it just his emotional state? Or did you think also he's not getting the education he needs? Well, I knew he was getting in a lot of trouble. That was one thing. He spent a lot of time in the principal's office. She, the, the principal at his last school was really awesome. And so she loved him. And so it wasn't a bad thing. But he wasn't, you know, he was like reading his Kindle, sneak reading his Kindle in class. He was bored. He was disruptive. He was getting kicked out of class a lot. But he was also identifying as the bad kid. And Mm -hmm. um, he just wasn't thriving. It was so clear to me that I was getting calls all the time, come pick up your kid. And he was, it was just a pretty constant, almost fight or flight mode by the end uh, of that second grade. And um, we, he was going to see a therapist. And I remember the therapist mentioning my son's anxiety. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh yeah. Like, have you seen his fingernails? And I was like, 
Oh, I didn't realize that was an anxiety response. And so I, it just, I started piecing together and realizing like, oh my gosh, this kid is, he's, you know, he was eight and he was, he was spending his time like full of anxiety, um, a little ball of intensity and apologizing for getting in trouble all the time for things that were just because of who he was. And I, I just didn't think he deserved that. Like he's, I also knew what a gentle, empathetic, cool, fascinating human he was. And I just wasn't willing to, to see that fade away. The traditional mindset, a a generation, like my grandma, for instance, my, uh, my grandmother, for instance, would have seen that as, well, he's not getting enough discipline at home. You know, like they, they need. I mean, probably going to ramp up the spankings. Is probably exactly the way to my dad say, because you do yeah. not disrespect a teacher at school. But and because in the when he gets out of there, he's going to have to have a job. So he might. As well, I know it's tough, but you got to prepare him now. He has to conform to that. Mm-hmm. You know, that, yeah. And and at some point, you can say, yeah, maybe I'm a bad, lazy parent who doesn't control my kids. Maybe, or. Maybe there's there's at least two things to look at. That could be. You could consider that. Or you could consider the environment that you're forcing them into. Could, you know, and there could be, it's not either or there. And I think that opening people's minds to that is, is important. <laughs> it takes a lot of retraining, I will say, because, yeah, I was raised in a very strict household and and I was really determined to be a really good parent and have, you know, I didn't, I don't know if compliance was what I was after, but I certainly wanted a kid who acted respectful and all of those things yeah. and kind and everything that you imagine. And, you know, of course, when you have a kid who's not acting, you know, kind in the playground and preschool and is like throwing a rock at another kid or, you know, whatever is happening and you're writing apology notes to other families. And, you know, as a parent, like so many of us take that on as failing on our part because we're also considering, you know, the way that we were raised, it's super messy. And so part of this process for families is also kind of questioning all of those things that we thought we knew about raising kids questioning, you know, is compliance really the goal here or is, you know, helping my child understand who he is, you know, and and really leaning in and understanding Mm -hmm. him. Um, So, but that is hard to do. And we get a lot of pressure from our, the communities we hang out with um, when our kid is the one who's, who's standing out in a negative way because of inappropriate behavior or whatever. Uh, that's really hard to, in the face of <laughs> yes. that to mm-hmm. keep steady. I don't think the world's quite ready for it, but if you're familiar with Caesar Milan and the way he does with those dogs, he's very clear that he rehabilitates the dogs and trains the adults. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, it's a, it's a, it's a definitely a parallel here, I think, yeah. but, uh, yes. you know, but yeah. so if, uh, some of the other things you do, I mean, I guess basically on this topic of school, what a crazy time this is to be speaking of school, which is p- partly why I wanted to have you on. I don't know what's happening right now, but it seems still very – I live in Washington State here in Seattle, and Toby's in North Carolina. But it is not clear that we are even going to get our school – Toby has three kids, by the way, and I have three kids. We, um, but it's not clear that we're going to get our schools back in the fall. Mm-hmm. And if they or they're going to come back and make us do them on Zoom, right, or some combination of that. So 
if there ever was a time to rethink some things for people, now is a is a good one. Do, what would you say? I mean, can you help us from here? I've, I have no idea what to do. <laughs> yeah. And I just have to say, I lived in Seattle for nine years. So hello, Seattle. Um, I miss it. So it's been a really interesting time for the parents in my community because I'd say like a third of them, their kids are thriving right now because they're at home and they don't, they're not in fight or flight mode. They're relaxed. They're learning on their pace, you know, the way they want to learn. And um, so I'm hearing from a lot of families that they're opting to continue homeschooling no matter what happens in the fall, which is super interesting. I think the challenge for so many families is if we do continue distance learning and it's not a good fit for your child, how do you advocate for the schools to, to create an experience for our kids that isn't going to like highlight their deficits. So for kids who, who are supposed to be sitting in front of a computer for X number of hours a day on doing Zoom classes, for a kid with ADHD, that is just a complete waste of time. Mm-hmm. Like there's just no learning is gonna happen. Right. The kids, if the kid has to sit and act like they're paying attention, they're gonna be so focused on doing that, they're not gonna hear anything. That's like, right. It's, it doesn't work for so many kids. So um, I don't have the answer. I'm kind of watching and and seeing what's happening and talking to parents and seeing what kind of support they need. But I think it's important for parents to to know that they have a voice in this and that just as we would advocate for our kids to get support in a classroom, we need to advocate and create, you know, try to push for the the scenario that is really going to work for our, our child. And that, that might mean a lot of pushback. Um, it might mean saying, so my child will only attend for this, this, and this, or he or she's not going to be doing this assignment or, you know, is just that really, really possible? Do we have rights for that? I'm not, I mean, like I know what my personal line, I know where my stances are going to be. I don't know if it's legal or not, but I mean, for instance, no, no, I'm not doing video classes. We're mm-hmm. not doing that. If that means I can't go to school, oh, so be it. But we're not sitting for hours a day on video classes. I promise you we won't be doing that. Yeah. I'd like to still participate in school or go every other day if they do it or whatever it is. But no, not interested in yeah. the distance learning thing. So do I have the right of that? I mean, I think it really varies from school district to school district and state to state. I'm starting to see people's plans Um in fact, I just saw some plans for a school in Seattle um, the other day of what they're they're giving parents an option of like all at home or two days in the classroom. And um, I'm a big fan of pushing for and don't take no for an answer. So asking for what you want. I believe there's always more room, more wiggle room for adapting and creatively solving these challenges than they would just come out and say um, so I would just keep pushing, but at the end of the day, this, there are no rules for this. So I would, I think that works in our favor, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can, we're going to create new rules then. And this is what we need for, for my family. Um, it's going to be a really interesting fall. I'm really, uh, I'm just so curious to see how yeah. it's going to unfold. Yeah, too. It, <laughs> Zoom, Zoom has been so tough for us. Cause you're right. My kids just try to sit there and we'll look at a screen and the teacher's just telling them the same thing that she would in person, but now it's just a screen. And it's so, and it just, I, I listen, it almost sounds like the peanuts teacher going, nah, nah, nah. it just starts turning into the, nah, 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 nah. and they're not, I'm like, I can't listen to it. How could they? And then I see my kids, we went to the beach last week 
And this lady came up to us and said, hey, my daughter is super shy. Uh, is there any way she could play with you? And I was like, oh, COVID. But I was like, human decency, let's just do it. We'll just, you know, we're on the beach. We're, we told our kids to stay decently away from, you know, from each other. But her, the little girl and her brother came. And my three kids and these two kids that didn't know each other at all immediately figured out all these things of what to do on the beach How with not the to sand be and, and cover the, you know, do, do different games with the sand, run to the water, play this game. And they immediately started creating and doing things. And they were so engaged. And I was like, they're using all kinds of skills here. There's, there's math. There's, you know, I mean, they're, they're using language. They're understanding each other. They're, wait, why did he say that? Oh, okay. And, you know, oh, come on. Oh, I'm supposed to go with them now. Or, you know, all these things. I was like, man. It's so crazy that we would try to diminish the education as it has to be this only. I, I've been thinking a long time, too. I, I can't believe our kids. One big fear I have, uh, I can't believe our kids don't play, get to play more at school. It seems like so much time sitting in a day. How could you How could you not almost be you know, diagnosed with some kind of attention deficit? Like, you know, in, in a way, like, I, 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 I don't see how anybody could, but I'm wondering more playtime. But here in North Carolina, they were talking about uh, if they go to school, you might just stay in the same class all day. And I don't know what that looks like for going outside, which with COVID, obviously vitamin D is important and being outside just for a kid or humans is important. So I'm really wondering, I mean, there might come a time where Jess and I have to go, like you said, no, That's I'm just nonsense. not going to do it. Well, I mean, you said something I think is kind of important if you would really look at it this way. You said, I see my kids here having to do the Zoom calls. And what you said is true, but very indicting. You said, and she's just saying the same thing that she would be saying at school, but it's on this screen, right? Okay. Yep. That All that means is if you had to sit beside your kid at a desk and watch him going crazy all day, she's saying the same thing that's <laughs> right, completely right, right. boring and ridiculous and yeah. your kid's not paying attention to and, without and the threat the of best the physical she can, or He's doing part. the best they can. They're doing the best right. they can. I'm saying, but what, what, so what we're talking about is the system. But I what mean, I'm saying is, is the, the in the thing. school environment, you have 30 other kids who are – creating a herd where you you it kind of makes you stay put it t- tells you to do this the teacher's standing up they have some body language but that's all just to set it up for that very ridiculous thing that right. you're saying is the same thing so right. <laughs> if you had to watch your kid all day at a desk you'd feel the same i bet <laughs> oh totally so either way that's what it is i'm a big fan of what you what you were saying about there's learning in everything. And, you know, in the years that I homeschooled Asher, I started off trying to reproduce school at home. And by the end, I was like, letting him do focus on projects that he was interested in. And then I found ways to weave in learning about executive functioning or math or writing or whatever around what he the projects that he was engaged in. And you know, when you start looking at like just playing on the beach, there's negotiation and there's the social piece and like there is learning and everything. That's what kids, I mean, we know that play is learning, right? So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, but that again, there's, there's so much fear for going your own path for saying, all right, I'm going to reject all of this and I'm just going to try something new because it seems like the outcome is so less certain. And, you know, especially here in the U S we, you know, we want our kids to do this, this, and this, go to this school, get this degree so they can get this college admit it. You know, like we have this, this idea of what it's supposed to look like. And the minute you start rejecting that, it feels really scary because you're off the path and that feels like a big unknown. 
Mm-hmm. And, and everything changes so fast. Like y'all were saying, I was just thinking about it. Like, uh, it, you're right. The, 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 our education system was set up very long time ago, and it does help. Like, I know there's parents that need to drop their kids off and go to work and pay the bills. I, I get all of that's these me. things. Yeah. <laughs> Not you. No, but, I do. I mean, that's the the well, thing yeah, I value oh, yeah, most about true. school is right, the babysitting right. that we pay for with taxes and them learning how to negotiate socially. There's nothing right. more important than that for my kids, and that no, is I why agree. I love them going to school. But if you take that part away, the learn the learning ain't the reason they go. I know. That ain't the reason. I, that, that's what I'm saying. Like I I I remember the multiplication table, but I'm gonna get yeah. real right. iffy about twelve times fourteen. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I'm. You know what I'm gonna go to my phone. Also, you know I need. I, let's see. How could I get good at typing? Oh wait a minute. Uh, what if I had to talk to everybody online? With typing, and now I don't even need all these. I use these mostly. I start using my thumbs all the time. Like, like technology is changing so quickly, and I do think part of this is changing the system. Like you said, it, one of the things that stuck out to me is like you were realizing your son was getting crushed. That is one of the most detrimental things. If if he doesn't remember something uh, that he, you know, yeah. or, uh, some test you took about history, you will have access to it, and then you will. When you need it, you will actually know how to find it. And but you need that confidence. You need to know that you can do things. That you you aren't broken. You know, I don't I don't know much about all of our U.S. presidents, but I could find it out right now if I needed to, or something. You know what I mean? Like I can find out information. So the world is set up now to really be explored in a, in a really good way. But I feel like the way we've taught our kids is, in a way, you have to submit to authority. Like I can't imagine like my kids have to do this. Matt, maybe yours do too. You have to walk in a straight line down one side of the hall. You know what I mean? And my kid gets in trouble for not doing it in the line or seeing something on the wall or starting to play a game on it because and the and the only reason he's getting in trouble is because it's really boring. And if I had to walk down any hall behind a line of people, I would be so bored and I would be immediately trying to crack jokes. I'd immediately be trying to do anything I could to make it a better time. And so I do think it kind of steals some of that. Have you noticed like how how is your your son's like does he have is he more joyful now? What like what's been the experience now for him? Just emotionally. Yeah, and how does he get his well, social interaction, that part that I've mentioned? Yeah, yeah, and his social yeah. interaction with other kids. Yeah, so he's a teenager, so that's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole oh, other thing. Right. <laughs> but, um, no, he's doing great. I mean, he we moved back. We lived abroad for um, five and a half years, and we moved back about to the States about a year and a half ago to New York, and he actually started high school at a, in a small private school here. Um, so first time in school in six years and, um, and he's doing great. Like he is, um, he's really knows who he is. He's got a lot of, uh, confidence, um, sometimes too much. Uh, and he's, he loves to learn and, um, yeah, like I, I, I couldn't be more amazed at the young man that he's becoming and developing into, um, socially it, it's hard right now because we, we, he had been at this school for six months and then now we're stuck in our apartment here in Brooklyn and have been. So um, he was just starting to find his group with his fencing and with some other activities. So um, that's been tricky, but. Uh, During the years he was homeschooled, how did he l- learn social stuff and what, how did he spend time around people then? Yeah, I mean, it was hard because I was living in the Netherlands where there weren't a lot of homeschoolers, but I just worked hard to create, you know, relationships with some families. Um, So he had a couple of uh, good friends that he would hang out with. Um, He's he's 
he's not someone who would ever be hanging out with packs of kids. That's just not him. Um, but he's, he still is his best friend lives in Seattle. They met when Asher was four and his friend was five in preschool. And they, they just Skyped for two hours yesterday. They talk weekly. And so a lot of his friends are virtual friend in London, friend in Seattle. Um, and it's actually been really great because that's been a really safe way to, to practice things, you know, when you have trust with someone and to kind of practice, um, just back and forth. And, um, so he's, yeah, so he's, he's doing good, but he, he, uh, but COVID has been really tough Mm -hmm. because we don't have other kids in the neighborhood to hang out with right now. So you talk about homeschooling and then you said it got less and less about keeping up with what school is. And that's the, maybe the worst thing about during this pandemic is like, you think you need to hit the objectives of these teachers, but if you would just go off of the system and stuff, if you would go off and just set your own objectives, you might be surprised what you could accomplish and how much more valuable it would be. But what is the notion of unschooling? But what's the difference in homeschooling and unschooling? Well, unschooling is really 100% child-led learning. So there's no expectation that we're going, you're going to be working on this math or, you know, reading at this time. It's just really letting the kid lead and do what they want to do. Um, So it's considered somewhat radical among some people, although I think it's really, it makes sense to me. And the research shows that, uh, that actually unschooled kids can be very successful because when a child is motivated internally, that's one of the best predictors of success. And they can learn really anything if they're, if they have a a personal drive and reason to learn it. So, um, homeschooling, more traditional homeschooling could look many different ways. It might be just replicating what might happen in a classroom at home. So that could be, you know, there are a lot of virtual schools before COVID who would just be doing that. You'd just be taking online classes with other people. Some people do eclectic homeschooling, which is what we did for a couple of years, which is like, you know, maybe um, science was done with a virtual homeschooling class. Maybe you do a co-op for a couple classes. I brought in like a Dutch and an art teacher for things. Or um, so we kind of created a curriculum together. I taught English, which basically meant we would just read cool books together and discuss them. So um, I always kind of kept an eye on where you know, his same age peers, if he had stayed in the school system, I kind of knew like, all right, you should be doing algebra or you should be doing this. And so I made sure that he, he was where he needed to be. So he's actually, he's ahead now that he's in in high school, he's been able to skip through things. Um, So yeah, but I think unschooling, there's a guy named Blake Bowles that I would encourage you to check out. And he wrote a new book that just came out called Why Are You Still Sending Your Kids to School? And it's fascinating. And I think the research behind unschooling being, it's not for everybody, but, but for a child who is, who has some, some self-motivation, it can be a really good fit. Mm-hmm. I it's have, interesting there. I, I was going to say too, I think one of the things and the fears people have is, yeah, but what about when, it, how do they get into college or what will that look like? And then now I feel like once again, things are changing. I don't know what college is going to look like and maybe even self-directed college learning or, uh, you know, something like that in the future. I think you're going to see that, that, that whole system change because I mean, I went to college and ended up with a lot of debt and then never did what I did with my degree. I ended up doing podcasts and Matt and I are in a band together. So I, but I, 
learned valuable information about, you know, hanging out with people and meeting them and all that. But I'm wondering, as homeschooling or unschooling gets even more popular, I wonder how much of an effect that will have on higher learning. I think it's going to be a huge impact, probably. I, I, I'm wondering why maybe you just self-directed and you'll know more anyway. Because you, I mean, do you really need four years of all of that if you're really interested in something? I think you know I mean? maybe like a it, way to look at that is would if there was something you really wanted to know and be involved in for your whole life that you might go to college for, why do you even think you could do that in four years? <laughs> I mean, right. we're going to move to right. learning is lifelong from your, when you're a yes. tiny baby until Great you point. die. So what's the go get the 12 years of this and four years of this is going to be probably de-emphasized probably. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I will say that that most colleges and universities are very open to homeschoolers and some really like them. They can they can be very successful. So um, it, 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 it people get worried about going into college from homeschooling and it's there's plenty of evidence that shows that those kids do fine. And actually some schools like MIT, for example, which is my son's like a dream school, um, they love homeschooled kids. So, um, so it doesn't have to be a barrier, but I also think it's really a great question to think, do we need this? You know, I think there's this idea that it's like, you've got to check it off, right. For this, these types of careers to be available to you, you need this four year degree, but, um, but I, we see it certainly with entrepreneurs who leave school and start their own thing, that it's not, um, it's not necessary for a lot of industries. There's a couple of episodes you've had that if I have you for a few more minutes, did you have a few more minutes? I would like to ask sure. you about a couple of your episodes um, just because I find them so, the topics uh, so fascinating and how they span the spectrum. I, li- I really like the one this week from High Sensitivity. Um, that is really great to identify high sensitivity as a trait and not a disorder, even though they're very similar. But uh, I think I'm going to skip that one. The one that really caught me recently was the fostering cultures of respect and justice in schools. And I don't remember mm-hmm. that lady's name, but yeah. that one is just crazy to me. I mean, especially now that we're talking about criminal justice system more and more, mm-hmm. obviously school, prison, teachers, cops, these things are not unrelated. I mean, they come out of the same systems. They'll be under some of the same scrutiny. And uh, the fundamental thing that she was saying is the, I can't, I, that's why I need your help to do it. She framed the whole thing in that it needs to be, the children need to be respected, basically. It's mm-hmm. a culture of respect. But I don't think I can thread the needle and say that without being offensive or anything. But can, can, can you tell me how you found her and what's interesting to that about you and, and help me share that information? Yeah, I love that episode. So that her name is Courtney Macavinta, mm-hmm. and she founded this institute called the Respect Institute. And her mission is to foster cultures, cultures of respect in our schools. And she actually came to that work because she wrote a book for teenagers called Respect, and it really about self-respect, and that that's much more important than self-esteem, like for us to kind of understand our boundaries and respect ourselves, and then we need to foster that in schools. Um, one of the things that she talked a lot about, which I was so happy to bring to the podcast, was the school-to-prison pipeline and the fact that, um, you know, that's a very real phenomenon and that the school-to-prison pipeline is... Um, predominantly, or, you know, a majority of those kids are kids of color and or kids who have learning disabilities and are differently wired. They're, the, the chances of them kind of getting 
kicked out of school or, you know, kind of it's, it's what happens in the school, in the classrooms. And we know that kids, again, kids of color, kids who are differently wired are punished more than other kids. They're expelled, they're suspended. They kind of go down this road. Oh, and in preschool, I mean, it starts in preschool, like they got preschool, the records of what, of what, I mean, but it's not, that's, there's just this whole thing about humans relationship to authority that is the central part in all of that, which is if you know you're not respected and treated like a X number of a whatever it is, and then 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 it's punishing you by the before you even know what's going on. I mean, how are you ever going to get out of that? Like if you're four and you think you're the bad kid, whether you're a black kid and it's because of that or for whatever the reason is, if you're mm-hmm. if you know that the system you're under doesn't have fundamental respect for you. What do you yeah. uh, say? Same with the police. I mean, you know that they don't have respect for you, and that's the issue. That's what the yeah. response is about. So if you, you know, it, and then the effects are just very clear. It goes all the way through. So f- fostering a culture of respect for kids has to be, mm-hmm. it just has to be close to the central thing. That if to me, it feels like it undergirds all of your other work. If you really get down to it, it's like looking at yeah. that child-centered view or something like that. And it really is about relationship, you know, kids having healthy relationships with the adults in their lives is the most important thing that we can give them. And that, of course, includes us as parents, but it also includes teachers like they spend all day with teachers. And if they um, have if they don't have that, then they're not going to feel that respect. They're not going to have be in relationship in a way that is going to help them have a healthy social emotional life, then we're just, again, setting them up to fail. So I think it really has to start with, with relationship. That's part of, of helping kids develop into emotionally healthy beings. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you who's a real character is that Harry Thompson and his PDA. <laughs> yes. I, he cracks me up, but yeah. can you tell us about PDA? I think that is very, very fascinating and applies to just a really a lot of people and it, cr- it creates these weird problems that I don't think people recognize, even if they're the individuals manifesting. Now, a lot of it really speaks to me that, that he says, it's like, Oh, that's so me. I can't even, <laughs> it's, it's uncomfortable to almost listen to, but can you ha- help explain PDA? Yeah. So PDA stands for pathological demand avoidance. Uh-huh. And it's actually, uh, technically a, it's a, it's a way and it's an expression of the autism spectrum, which is really uh, recognized and known in the UK and also in Australia. Primarily, it is not really recognized here in the US. Certainly, um, most diagnosticians have never heard of it. And so I had done an, an episode with a woman named Dr. Melissa Neff. She's in Missoula, Montana about PDA because she had been studying with these people in the UK and realizing I'm seeing this in my clients. And what it is, is it's, you know, a lot of uh, people on the spectrum and, and people with ADHD uh, have kind of a, are triggered by demands being placed on them. That's kind of typical. Someone with pathological demand avoidance would have such an extreme aversion to any sort of demand that they would completely shut down. And so, um, and anything can look like a demand, you know, going to school, um, 
you know, can you put on your shoes so we can go for a walk? You know, it's, it's this, it's, it's over. And it's not a matter of their choosing. And that's what Harry Thompson, who he's from the UK, he wrote a wonderful memoir called the PDA paradox about growing up with PDA. And so he, from inside his mind can say, this is what it feels like to experience this. Um, but as he said, this isn't a matter of, I won't do this. It's a matter of, I can't do this. And that is a really important distinction to make, but there's so much misunderstanding about it. They, these are kids yeah. who are just seem to be defiant and strong-willed yes. and that we need to just keep pushing them when in fact, that's the exact opposite thing that we should be doing. Yeah. To me, it, it feels like that. Well, the big problem is that I, I feel very strongly like so many kids are misunderstood when they, and they're, it's almost always they're labeled like oppositional defiant. And once you mm -hmm. get into that territory, you it's like this intent or motive of the kid is so bad and they just want to do bad. So that's why they're choosing to say no to things or fight or whatever it's going to be. And I think that's one of the most devastating mistakes you can make if with it when from the kid's point of view, it could be quite different. You know, they could be doing everything mm -hmm. they could and they just can't go along with something for whatever reason. And then it show and they're, they're very upset to know that other people think they're having a bad attitude when that's not their intent. But it feels like you can't do something if you really don't understand what it is and why you should do it in your own self. Like if you can't understand why you're being required to do a thing, it could just be really painful. Like that's a really, and painful as in total loss of control. Like somebody mm -hmm. wants me to do something and I have no understanding of what this is or why I have to do it. That makes me feel unbelievable. Uh, that's an unacceptable feeling basically. Like it's just, it's, it's a t feeling of terror. It's not the feeling of fuck right. you. I mean, that's not the feeling yeah. I have. I mean, it may come out that way when pressed, but mm -hmm. it, the feeling is I'm lost. I don't know what's going on. And they're forcing me to do something. And right. the answer's going to got to be no to that. <laughs> That's what it feels like to me. Yeah, and if and you can't I help me understand, it's just going to escalate. And then who knows what conflict we're headed for. Yeah, because if you're trying to make someone understand, then you're assuming that it's a choice that they're making. Right. And what we know about behavior is that, you know, 95 or more percent of it is not purposeful. Kids who are not choosing to be willfully defiant because they just want to piss their parents off, their behavior is a symptom or an expression of a skill they don't have or, a, you know, of where they are. And so our reaction shouldn't be to try to punish that expression, that behavior, or to try to... Um, you know, get compliance or exert our will, it should be to understand, oh gosh, there's, there's a disconnect here. There's something that is getting in the way of this child being able to do this. I need to get curious and try to understand what's happening so that that's where you want to put loving <laughs> support around, not on trying to just fix the way it's exhibiting. Mm -hmm. And so you can do things like frame in things in choices more so is, is basically a, a one thing to do there is get things framed in you can do this or this kind of a, a, a method. Is that something you use a lot to framing things in choice for your kids? Yeah, choices and just getting curious, like asking the question, what's going on? Or if your child does something saying, you know, what were you trying to do? 
you know, because what, you know, as a parent, we we might see a kid pick up a shoe and throw it across the room. And in our mind, you know, we've already decided what that means. The child might be like, oh my gosh, there was a bug on the wall and I just grabbed the closest thing to me and I wanted to kill the bug. So, you know, that's a simple example, but if you if you start just getting curious and asking questions like what were you trying to do um what was your intention in doing that um why what feels hard about this um you know just it, it this is our lifelong work this isn't the kind of thing we're going to figure out in like one conversation but our job as parents i think is to get really curious and get to know who our kids are on that deep level and, and what their triggers are and what the underlying reason is for the, the tricky behavior. To understand it better. But the distinction maybe there is that at the time of conflict and escalation, that's not the mm-hmm. same thing as say, what is wrong with you? Or why did you do that in, in the meltdown yeah. moment? There's nothing. There's thinking? no conversation. No, yeah. What, what were you thinking when you're mad <laughs> and they're doing the thing? Is no. not that a, always works in my marriage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, later you in can. The moment, yeah. No, but in what, the moment, it's all about um, de-escalating the situation because there's no learning that's going to happen yes. when a child is flip their lids. What y'all are saying now feels like it should be for the world. This sounds like yeah, what sure I wish everybody is. would ask these questions and talk this way on Twitter. Like it, it's everything's way more layered, and we immediately see the reaction as intent and uh, negative behavior, defiance, all that stuff. And if you just can take them, if you can control yourself, like as a, I'm just talking about me as a parent, if I can control myself and my kid, this is good for me. If I can take a breath and go, wait a minute, why are they doing this? Why are you doing this? Let me find out. Oh, you know, even if it was uh, a little bit of defiant behavior, it's not as bad probably as it looks. And so then I can, then we can actually, there might be some learning instead of just going at each other. And I would say not just why are they doing this, but why am I being triggered by this? Like that's where our work happens, right? Because we add fuel to the fire all the time. Yes. Yeah. Why am I upset about this thing? Uh, You know, have I even looked at that? What am I making this mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm learning the hard way. I'm a lot of the fuel. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm gassing up every day. I'm topping off the tank a lot. (laughs) Well, Debbie, thank you for spending so much time with us. I thought this has been just a very pleasant conversation. It's nice to get to chat with somebody who I've heard your voice a, a good bit. And I just want to make sure that people... Uh, find your podcast and find the episodes that speak to them or just listen to all of them. You've got some other stuff going on. You're doing a, a master class thing now. Um, what, what, what else do you yeah. have going on now that you can point people in the direction of? Yeah. So Tilled Parenting is the podcast and I just released episode 214. I have no intention of stopping anytime soon. So that's um, super fun for me. And personally, I learn a lot <laughs> from my experts that I have on. Um, and then, yeah, so this summer, I, I'm a part of a group of parenting authors and experts, and we put together a, a nine-week live uh, series of webinars called Parenting in Place. And so we're doing, we did an episode about race last week. We're doing one on screen time. Um, we have one coming up on re-entry to school, one on how to motivate kids. And they've been fantastic events We because we've got amazing experts and they're live. So there's a lot of engagement with people. So those are, that's kind of, that's a parenting in place masterclass.com. If people want to check that out. Great. Okay. So tiltparenting.com. That's the easiest way to get in there. And Debbie, thanks again so much for spending the time with Toby and I. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the convo. This is awesome.
that is what I want to do with podcasting. She was just so great. I'm saying like <laughs> for us, like I want to have more and more people and we have been. And you say I that didn't... every time we have a smart woman on the podcast that, that you just want to do more of that. No, we had, <laughs> we had Jamar Tisby was great last week. I mean, we got, I mean, but I'm just saying. What, what are the podcasts so... we've done you just don't like then? <laughs> I don't want to say. I'll get in trouble. Oh God. People would love to hear that, wouldn't they? <laughs> now, how many people have done podcasts with us? They're like, man, I'll never do that show again. I, that might be a, the case too. But I, I'm saying that felt right for where I'm at in life, even like mm. as a dad and as a father and to all my kids and just taking the time. Like, I mean, she didn't even say this, but she, at the very beginning of the podcast, she didn't study about spectrum or autism or neurodiversity. That that wasn't her, what she went to school for, or ever thought about or anything. Guess how she got so good at it? Because she wanted to. Not from school. And maybe needed <laughs> yeah, yeah. to. And, and the, the, so the thing that she did was, oh, I want to do this. I'm going to do great at it because I want to. I'm yeah. going to. And yeah. so I was like, even her story, her personal story, proves like, wait a minute, you you can do anything. If you tell, if you, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you told her, Years ago, she was gonna. You're gonna be learning about neurodiversity, and she thought you were crazy or something. You know what I mean? Or what? Are, what are you talking about? And now, I mean, is doing amazing things with it. And it just was. I mean, she's just great. I mean, you can tell she's great podcaster, great conversationalist, all that. But I just really enjoyed it. It was so much information, and some of the stuff y'all were talking about. I know you've delved even deeper into this world, but I it's really enlightening for me. Um, and just the I love that idea of. It, I'm telling you. We are dangerously close to uh, everybody accepting brokenness, and I'm worried about that because there are broken people in the world. That is true. There, there are victims in this world. There are people with real problems, but I'm worried that people are being told you can't ever move past it or do amazing things. That, that's a real fear. Yeah. That, you know what I mean? Like, wait a minute. You... Yeah, you you have real problems, a real issue. You're gonna you can do amazing things. Don't 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 tell yourself you can't be amazing too. Like what who, the the idea? That's what I push back on a lot when somebody wants to say, uh, look at the, like the idea of the disability. Lots of people have disabilities and they're real, and you can do amazing things with disabilities. You can do amazing things with uh, you know neurodiversity or whatever it might be. I just I hope people aren't aren't losing hope. That well, this is my lot in life. I'm I'm at a disadvantage only. Like uh, you are. Yeah, there's a lot of people you that are, feel that way. But if things are hard and things are bad and your experience is bad, and then there's a something that you could latch onto that would validate that. The question is, but how how will you be? Able, you know, like is there resources yeah. or help in in that validation? Maybe, but the, but right. also we seem to be really powerful with identity like all of the things that yeah. divide society the most are identity right yeah. like who you really are so uh, to me it's just who you really are should you got to be real careful who tells you and what dsm qualifications or what somebody else what other people on twitter say they're x because x happened to them you know i mean victim is an identity uh autistics identity you know male straight white males and identity i mean how that the there's different <laughs> different levels of those things that you can internalize that are how much of your identity are those things that can right. be very valid and true you know and so of course when you get all the way down into the childhood part it's like oh my gosh it's like so delicate and it just seems so obviously important 
what you say you are, what other people say you are, and how you think of yourself. And those things are very hard to change later in life. So that critical, those critical ages, I mean, you know, and you said that, that this is what everybody needs to think like in the world. Of course, but nobody has the time to do that for other people. Maybe you do for your kids, though. And probably not, right. honestly. You don't have the resources yeah. you need to put towards your kids. You And you don't have the patience, and you're not good enough. That's already yeah. true. But our own kids, we can start to kind of try to give them some room. <laughs> but I know. But by the time there's some 40-year-old asshole on Twitter, no, nah, fuck him. It's over. You know? like right. So it is really right. like the only time when there's people who might could clear space for you to be... Right, you know, it's a, a very important window of time. It's hard to reverse later, so that's why uh, I think I mean, all those things matter so much. This is the this might really be the moment. That's what I'm saying. Like everybody has a real opportunity to do some amazing things, and this is, I mean, we're 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 just this is where we're at. We are seeing the systems potentially be able to fall that are holding people back. I mean, th- that are that are causing real issues. I mean, uh, how about this? Why, when Jess and I we rent and we're wanting to buy a house, right? Why every time we look at certain neighborhoods, um, the house might be it might be more affordable, so it's lower cost, but the schools are lower ranked. Right. And the higher schools are ranked, almost always it means more white people. Of course. It means it almost yeah. means that. Now, that system that that that's that's a real thing we gotta change. Right. We're talking about our children, our children, our American citizen children and they are in schools that are ranked lower and that is definitely there is a correlation to the color of their skin one hundred percent and we're saying we got to keep the system going well the main it's, thing it, it, you need to do you know what I mean is for your in your rich neighborhood to raise m- way more money for your kids at your school I, know, I think I that's the main th- message that I hear like, is that the rich school that has a m- the most doesn't have anywhere near what they need so they gotta I, get a bunch of more money I, to put I mean, into their whatever and right. I always think if we could raise money there's no for this school there's no way that you should keep it that's right. the only way I can think about that is if we could raise more money for Georgia's school it has to be wrong to keep it for our school, right? Yeah, maybe it's already so. a better school than the yeah, other ones. It already is, and it already has way more than the other ones do. And the fact that the other ones have nothing is a big problem for everybody. So if we're going to raise an extra ten grand here, how in good conscience could we ever keep it? I don't think. Let's you, see. You can. Yeah, yeah. I think. What it's if wrong. we change the system and all the schools were amazing? Like, what if we just really spent the time and the effort and maybe even <laughs> resources and money and made every school a ten? No matter what what area well, of town it's in, wouldn't that? You don't think that would change well, the world? I don't think that. You don't think even, that would help? I don't I mean, know. What, or, There's no, we're nowhere that, you near don't, that. You don't think that would change the system? You don't yeah, think things but, would have to be done differently? I mean, I'm I'm serious. Like, I mean, I, I, this is if not now, when? Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe, but but we can't. We're not. We're not ready for that conversation yet. Is all I'm saying. That one's not. That one's for the future. Like but at least for now, you don't have to ready for be it, married to it, your but. kid going through it. And being a, I mean, you know, it, it, the system is got big problems. You could say it does all the good. It does so much good, so much good. But it's, you could be more open minded that it's not the only thing out there. You know, I think that, right. that pressure of a lot of well parents is the thing. It's maybe I, there's different things. And I'm, that's what I'm saying. The, the, the system hurts the teachers. No, I, I would guarantee you 
99.9% of teachers go into teaching because they want to make a difference and, and help kids and to be a teacher. And maybe their family, their mom was a teacher or their dad was a teacher. Sure. Now they want to, the legacy, all this stuff. I don't think people go in, man, I'm going to screw these no, kids up. No, of course not. But the I'm, same I'm is lazy, true about military and police right, and everybody. Right. I mean, yes, 90% I agree. of people go in with great so, intentions, so what, no doubt. So the system, flaws, which all systems are going to have flaws. It doesn't matter. I, I understand that. But I'm just saying that the systems have to change and it will make you understand and the uh, teachers m- more it, it will help you see what their life is like and their work is like and their dedication is like and their effort is like that's what i'm saying i mean the teachers on the zoom meetings for my kids i know they worked hard mm-hmm. they planned lessons and they 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 had to go through the zoom thing too and they had to try to keep the kids entertained and their whole world I, i'm not blaming them that the, the system though the way it's set up is if those like for example if the teachers tried to do something real different on the zoom meetings oh, just, probably would have yeah. gotten in trouble yeah. Even though it probably would have been better for my child. Yeah, but there's just no, I mean, there's no solutions on the horizon to fix all that. That's, no, 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 no. So, no. But you're right to say, I mean, this is a great reflection moment to go, wait a minute. We're in the middle of this crazy system that we all right. know is really fucked up. But right now, it's even real cra- I just think this moment is important to, right. I don't know what anybody ought to do. I have no clue what I'm going to do. I have no, right. not planning on homeschooling, not, not planning on that. I want right. my kids to just go to the damn school and learn how to play with other kids for another 10 years and leave me alone, and that'll be fine. <laughs> I don't need anything else. I don't want them to get crushed. I don't care what they learn. They need to go learn how to be people with other people. I've paid right. the taxes for that. Can they go do that without getting harm done to them is the only question I have, because that's what I want to happen. I, I want them to just I go to school it. like normal. It's fine. Yeah. Can it just be okay? Can you just kind of leave the kids yeah. alone a little bit? I don't know. Maybe you can't. I don't know. How different do you think it would be if your kid, uh, they had like, they had resources there just out? Maybe this is what she was talking about with unlearning. But like, what if my three kids could go to elementary school and if they wanted to, they could play all day. They could stay on the playground. They could do, you know, all the, if they wanted to sit down and read, there would be a, obviously the library and stuff like that. There's Here's some projects that if you want to work on, this is what the outcome will be. Like, show the kid, hey, listen, if we do this thing, this is what's going to happen here. This, the, Here's the stages of this project. If you want to work on it, we're going to be able to complete this. Uh, we're going to build a bridge across mm. this little ravine in the, ba- in the back of the schoolyard. Or we're going to make a rocket, and it's going to take us a month, but it's going to shoot in the air. So here, I mean, like, one thing. Just, just one thing. Like, I think my kids would come home maybe more fulfilled and probably close. To, I know you need... English and math and all that. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just thinking like the idea of trying to cram it all in, like you said, it's lifelong. So we, what we, in 12 years, you, you're done. You can't, you're, uh-oh, can't learn anymore. Oh, oh yeah. when I graduate high school, oh, maybe I'll get to go to college and maybe learn for four more years, but that's it. Then I got to just Then what? I'm ready to what? <laughs> no, like, to what? Oh, wait. Let's, let's prepare let's you for just, what? I mean, I don't I even mean, know. Wouldn't old folks be way happier if they knew at 70 they still had a lot to learn and they were told that, hey, you need to keep learning here? Like, I, I feel like, like, in some ways, like our grandparents and stuff were told, well, that's the end of your life. So you're just here. Yeah. So like, a lot of people would say about know? their kid, oh, if I had let my kid be self directed, he'd probably just eat Cheetos and do stupid stuff all day. And you, you don't, first of all, you don't know. <laughs> Like, I know what my kid would do, and it would be he right. wouldn't whatever. But that's just you having a low view of your kid. 
I, right. In my opinion, I think that's really a problem on your right. end. I mean, you don't know what he would do after he got bored of doing that after six there's, months. Does right? nobody realize how, how or if he was a rich gamer is? soon? I mean, what right. that you get bored and then right. you come up with something, but you never give him a chance. Too many soccer lessons and school programs and stuff. Right. So right, totally. <laughs> never. They don't even have a clue that they could come up with something on their own to do. They don't believe in themselves, and you don't believe in them. I know. All right, we gotta get out of here, man. Kids are awesome. They're wonderful. <laughs> change the world. Change your life. Everybody should have one. Well, maybe not everybody. <laughs> <laughs> the drugs begin to peak. A smile of joy arrives in me. But sedation changes to panic and nausea And breath starts to shorten And heartbeats pound softer You won't try to save me You just want to hurt me Leave me desperate You talk Not now or forever 